Hey, uh, before we, we begin, and we're, having, we're starting a new book, a new series uh, today, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, I know that we have some family that's visiting and some folks that are new. Uh, we're blessed. Thank you for joining us uh, for worship here this morning. Before we begin our, our new series, I have a couple things I want to ask that you would pray about, and then just one thing, more of a family, church family business that we want to attend to. So a couple prayer requests. One is, uh, or there's two of them. If you can pray for my good friend, Pastor Dan Bollinger, uh, him and his family were missionaries in Japan for a number of years. Uh, he is stateside now in Southern California, and he is in a hospital in the ICU uh, fighting for his life. Uh, he has um, pneumonia, but it's complicated because he has this um, uh, just very serious heart condition. And so his wife, Mihoko-san, and their kids obviously worried uh, but we want to just lift up the Bollinger family. So if you can think of that this uh, coming days and weeks, I know they would appreciate that. The, the second prayer request also for a pastor and his wife is Pastor Chris Ayer over at Coza, a good friend of ours, and we love the ministry and the folks over there and the Ayer family. So uh, Pastor Chris's wife, Hisami-san, uh, has been uh, battling just some uh, precancerous stuff for a bit and went in for some tests and uh, some parts were okay, and then some parts were not. And so with that, uh, they're going to be starting a, a process of treatment with uh, radiation and surgery. And th she was actually supposed to go in surgery, I think, uh, this week. Uh, but when they went in to get checked in, the doctor's like, uh, we got some other stuff going on in terms of her health. So they're scooting it to, I think, the first week or the middle of August. So all that to say, let's, uh, let's be in prayer for Hisami-san and for the Air family, uh, for our Koza family. Uh, I know they would appreciate that, okay? So those are the prayer requests uh, for those on, more on the serious side. Some fun stuff. Um, we're, we're gonna be having two college student interns, Bible college interns that are coming in. Uh, one's Julia Reedy and she'll be coming in tonight. Uh, her family was a Marine Corps family. Actually, they were here our very first year with us, so back in 2001. Uh, she was a little, just a little squirt, uh, was with us. They left. We prayed them back, uh, got to reconnect with them. They left. We prayed them back again, so they did three tours here uh, with the Marine Corps, and after uh, Ralph and the family retired, actually, their oldest daughter um, interned with us here. Some of you guys might remember Rachel. Uh, fell in love with an Air Force guy, and he took her away. And so now we're getting the youngest daughter to come out. So we're, we're really excited. Uh, a little bit of a homecoming for her. So we're blessed. She's been homegrown. Uh, and the other is Joel Martinez. He gets in tomorrow night. Uh, he is uh, my son, uh, Nehemiah, his real good buddy from Bible College. Uh, he's coming from Northern Cal, but we don't hold that against him. And he's going to be coming out uh, tomorrow night. So they'll be here for several weeks. You'll see him around. Uh, so just keep them in prayer, first time, or at least for Joel, first time in Japan. So we're excited just what God's doing, you know, have some new faces around. All right, uh, family business. These are the things that I do not like to do, and that is to pray for people in our PCS cycle. It's just rhythm of life uh, here in Okinawa with the, the makeup of our body, right? Every summer we have rhythms. It's cicadas that worship along with us, <laughs> typhoon warnings. Um, and PCS. So the blessing of PCS is God brings you guys here. The bad thing about PCS is he sends you off. So we're going to pray for Tina this morning. Uh, first service, we prayed for the Hudson. So if you know Elena and John, they're taking off. If you know uh, Colton, uh, Gregory, he's heading out as well. And then uh, Lance uh, Johnson uh, is heading out to college. So we got to pray for them first service. But Tina, um, man, we love you. You, you are worth my weight in gold, and uh, thank you for making a, a just family with us this past season. We're excited for you, though, too. It's bittersweet, uh, the epitome of bittersweet. Um, we know that God's going to continue to use you in Arizona, uh, all beach, no ocean in Arizona, um, and all that, uh, you know, you put your hands to, like here, um, you just make everything better. And so uh, we're really blessed for you. We're going to miss you, though. We're going to miss you. But we want to pray for you this morning. Is that okay? All right. Uh, let, me, let me do this. Let, let's, um, 
We'll open our Bibles to 2 Peter. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, LJ's back from his uh, tour of the United States. You can wave at him, and he'll be happy to let you borrow a Bible. So this is brand new for us uh, as far as a new book. We're in 2 Peter. We finished 1 Peter. Uh, with that comes what we just call our series, which is really just what we've been doing, right? It's a systematic, expositional teaching of a book of the Bible. We're going to take it uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, as the scriptures describe. Um, and so we're in Second Peter, looking at verses 1 through 4. And so we'll read that together, and then uh, we'll pray and in our prayer. We're going to pray for Tina as well. So uh, for us, as a, just a practice, we'd like to stand in honor of God and his word. If you're new, uh, welcome again. Why we do this, um, one example we find is in Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Um, we stood before, Ezra stood before the people, opened the, the books, the Bible, and they read aloud, and uh, really a great biblical example of expository teaching. Read it, explained it, and, and we're told that everyone stood as it was being read. So we have a little bit of a biblical model. And practically, uh, it's been said our mind can only endure as long as our seat can, so I get a little extra mileage when I get you to stand. All right. Simon Peter, inspired of the Spirit of God, uh, writes his second letter. He introduces himself and his audience and his salutation. He says, Simon Peter, bondservant and apostle of Christ, or Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And verse 3 and 4 is packed with a lot of amazing truths. As his divine power has given to us all things, not some things, not most things, all things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. All right, we'll pause there. We'll pray for our study. We're going to pray for our sister as well. <laughs> Lord, as we sang, it is by the blood of Jesus that we can even have an audience with you. And we, we want to acknowledge that first and foremost. You loved us, you pursued us, you adopted us, you washed us, you made us clean, you made us your, yours, Lord. And God, we thank you that uh, now that we have become children of God, that we have this amazing privilege and access of prayer, that any time that we need, we can come boldly before your throne of grace to find mercy, help, wisdom, perspective, patience and peace, all, all the things we need, Lord. And we ask, God, that you would grant that um, very generously, because that's your nature. And Lord, I pray that as we study your word, that you would help to grant us understanding and application, that, Lord, we'd understand, but we'd also live these truths out. And we thank you ahead of time for how you'll work in our lives, even through this 45, 50 minutes or so of time. And Lord, we lift up our sister to you. Um, our, our words fail to express our deep appreciation, our very deep uh, family love that we have for Tina. Lord, uh, grateful for her investment here, especially amongst the youth and how she loved and poured in, even with her very busy schedule. Father, we ask that you would bless her in every way, and as she heads stateside here soon, that you would go ahead of her and help her to find just another church family that will love and appreciate and adore her as we do, that she'll be able to use her gifts and talents and all that you've uh, just made her to be, Lord. And we pray for favor for her next command and all the things that she gets to do for you, uh, even outside of the church walls. And so we commit her to you, we lift her to you, and we thank you for her. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment, greet a neighbor, give Tina a big hug.
All right, so we're in a new book. Uh, I hope that you're excited. I'm excited. If you have one of those cool study Bibles that uh, maybe was given to you or you spent a little extra money on in the beginning of this chapter, there's a few extra pages that has background and maps and those things, highly encourage you. Get your money's worth out of that and read that, review that. That'll probably provide more than what I'm going to share. I do want to get to the meat of what we want to talk about. So uh, some of the background that I provide, it's not as deep, it's not as, as detailed as maybe you know, your study Bible might have. If you don't have one of those study Bibles, that's okay too. All that information's online. You can Google it later. Uh, and as we study through, I invite you to journey with us. Uh, you know, I'll make sure to do my best to fold in some of the background so that we can have context and understand what is Peter talking about? Why is he saying the things that he's saying? And then ultimately, like, what, so what? What does it mean for us today? Like, what, what do we believe the Spirit wants to equip and impart and edify us as we follow the Lord, you know, here in Okinawa in this season and this year? So with that, uh, we are, again, 2 Peter 1 through 4. Our whole series is just entitled Growing in God's Word. Uh, today's message taken from the text there in uh, verse 4 is precious promises. Those are the things that God has given us. So a little bit of background. And again, I'm going to share some highlights. Uh, the, it's the Apostle Peter who's the author. He introduces himself right off the bat. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about uh, the idea. Or he, he introduces himself as Simon Peter. It's the same Simon Peter that we see in the Gospels. Uh, Big-hearted fisherman, often with a big mouth, but he has to insert his big foot in his big mouth. Um, it's the same guy that Jesus uh, calls, redeems, restores. Uh, the Peter that I think a lot of us can relate to. You know, he, he loves the Lord, but he's, he loves the Lord imperfectly. He makes mistakes. He stumbles along the way. He says some things he shouldn't. He does some things he shouldn't. And yet uh, the Lord doesn't throw him away, uh, calls him establishes him, you know, blesses him with grace. And, and we, that's the same work that God does in all of our lives. And so we, I think we often can relate to Peter. This particular letter, uh, as you note there in verse 1, the audience is, is different than 1 Peter. So 2 Peter, he says, to those who obtain like precious faith. It's, it's basically an open letter to any and all Christians, whoever might read this, wherever they may be. A little different than First Peter. It was also broader, right? He didn't write to a particular city or a particular church, um, but it was, he called them pilgrims, those who were exiled. Uh, the geographic region tended to be, you know, modern-day Turkey today, Asia Minor. So uh, while it was localized, it was still pretty broad. And so one of the differences is his audience. This audience is wider. The second difference is the emphasis he's making. Uh, in his first letter, Peter wrote to Christians who were uh, under intense persecution because of their faith in Christ. They, they wanted to follow the Lord, and people around them uh, were persecuting them in all manners and all degrees. And so uh, they were becoming discouraged. They were becoming disheartened. And so Peter writes this letter to say, hey, uh, hang in there, you know, keep on keeping on. God's got you. God loves you. Yes, suffering is part of the equation, uh, but the Lord uh, will see you through. Uh, you know, there's turbulence in the Christian walk. Uh, don't think that we have a, uh, you know, life is going to be easy card. Uh, no, life is hard at times, and, and especially if we name the name of Christ, we, we should expect that. And so Peter writes to encourage them, uh, uplift them, challenge them along the way. So that's 1 Peter. 2 Peter, the letter's a little different. It's almost as though it's his, um, it, his swan song. Like it, he, he knows that time's coming, to, you know, his life's coming to an end. Uh, he gets this sense, and so he has these things that are heavy on his heart, and he wants to write to the church, just believers, whoever would receive this, because he also sees there's this false teaching that's permeating the church, that's making its way into people's lives, into the way they be believe and behave. And so he has this burden, this urgency to write to them, to write to us, to be careful and to be aware of false doctrine, to be aware of false teachers, 
And a big part of that was, the false teaching was that people were saying, well, the second coming of Christ isn't happening, or uh, they're distorting the teaching. And so he, he's going to basically nail that down for us. Like, no, Christ is coming back. Like that, uh, he's promised that he's coming back. And so don't, don't lose sight of that fact and how we live our lives. And I'll talk about how everything's going to burn. It's all going to um, go up in a, a giant bonfire. And so if that's the case, how ought we to live in light of that truth? And so that, that's Second Peter. And through it all, he's going to emphasize and stress the authority and the authenticity of the Word of God, of the Scriptures themselves. He's going to use it as a basis of our faith, as a basis of us growing in grace, uh, of being guarded against those things that are false, and being ready for when Christ comes back. And that prescription of growing in the word of God is one that applies to us today. And so with that, we're going to walk through these first four verses and, uh, and unpack these truths. I'll do my best by the help of the Holy Spirit to put a handle on these truths so that we can all carry them out with us and hopefully, uh, you know, live by them. I will tell you this on the onset. Most, if not all, of our application today will be in the form of know this, um, adore this, absorb this. That, that's going to be most of our application. You know, a lot of scriptures uh, is oriented in this way, especially the epistle letters. They generally begin with just things for us to know, what's true about God, what's true about us, what's true about what Christ has done for us. That gets laid out. That's doctrine, right? That's solid theology. Let's know this, understand this. And then at some point, Paul and the other writers will pivot to then, what do we do in light of that? And usually it's the word therefore. In light of all that God has done, in light of all that Christ is, in light of all that uh, we are, what do we do in light of those things? Then, then comes the application. Then comes the imperatives, Peter will follow a similar pattern. He, he's just greeting the church. He's just laying this out. But in that, there are some pretty meaty, important truths. So we want to pull those out and put a handle on them so that we can carry them home. But most of the application is going to be like sunscreen at the beach. Just rub it in. Right? Just let it, let it do it, its thing. Just, just soak it up, okay? All right. He begins, Simon Peter. So he, just, he, he acknowledges who he is. And we pause there for a moment, and I want to note this with you. It's different than how he began 1 Peter. Different. What does it mean? I don't know. It is just different. But the fact that he refers to himself as Simon Peter, to me, is curious. Now, Peter has different names. And so Simon, if you will, was his, his original name. It's his first name. It's his given name. Um, you know, most of you know me by Rick, by my real name, my given name, my passport name is Richard. Nobody calls me that, but that's my given name. Simon Peter's given name is Simon. That, that's his given name. Why he's called Peter often is because Jesus told him when he first meets him, hey, you're Simon, but guess what? I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you Peter, which is just, a, a, to me, a curious and interesting thing. Uh, he's also referred to as, as Cephas. Uh, so he, ha he has a third name. Why, why is he called Cephas? Well, in Aramaic, uh, that's... That's the equivalent to Peter, which translates rock or stone. So Cephas, Simon Peter, it's all the same guy. Um, but we pause here even at the beginning. I just want to make a note with you and not draw too much out of it, but I think it's noteworthy. When Simon meets Jesus and Jesus says, hey, you're Simon, son of Jonah, Bar-Jonah, but I'm going to call you Peter. The very next interaction, that didn't happen. It, it wasn't all of a sudden like the Lord decided to pick a nickname for him, and then he goes with that. It happens sometime later. And the point where it happens, it happens at this place called Caesarea Philippi. Um, oh, by the way, I made the same announcement, first service. So Israel trip next year, May 17th through the 27th, 10 days. It's 2700 bucks 
it pay, that, that's just the ground package, though. We still got to get airfare, so LJ is going to help me find some good deals. Um, change your life kind of trip. Anybody been to Israel before? Yeah. All right. One of the places we're going to go is Caesarea Philippi. Amazing. Change your life. And there's a little snack sh uh, store right in the beginning that sells Magnum ice cream bars that are amazing, too. But anyways, <laughs> it's that place. It's that same place. Jesus calls the disciples. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. And he basically has a pop quiz for them. He says, hey, who do the people say that I am? And then, you know, he gathers all these various answers, right? So the disciples begin to say, well, some think that you're Elijah, and some think that you're the prophet, and, and so on and so forth. And then he turns the question to them, and he says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And I would say, arguably, perhaps the most important question any of us could ever answer, who do you say that Jesus is? Because everything is determined by that answer. So he asks them, and Simon Peter, it's Peter who, in my mind's eye, I can imagine like, ooh, 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 I got the answer. So he calls them, go ahead, go ahead, Simon. And, and Simon Peter responds, he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christos. You are the Son of God. And, and, and I imagine Jesus smiling saying, high five, buddy. Blessed are you, Simon Barjana, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And from now on, he says, I'm going to call you Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, it's a whole other teaching. There are those who think that, he, you know, Jesus meant Peter was to become the rock. I, I, I don't think that's what he meant. Two different words there. I think upon the... the the statement that Christ was the Son of God, upon the statement that Christ is the promised Messiah. That, that's the foundation the church is built on, right? Not, not Peter. But it's at that transaction that, if you will, he gives him his new name, and along with that, he gives him his new identity. And there are those who study such things, they say, well, Simon can mean one of two things. It can mean listening, hearing, or it can also mean shaky or shifting sand. And if that's the case, I think it's kind of curious that he would change his name from shifty, you know, sandy to now I'm going to call you Rocky. You know, the Jewish culture gave a lot of um, importance to a name and a namesake. It was an identifier mark. And so the fact that Jesus says, uh, I'm going to change your name I would submit to you is that he's, he's changing his identity, no longer unstable, no longer unsettled, but to come into a place where he understands the truth, understands who Jesus is. And I submit that to you as we make observation of Simon Peter, just that that's still true for us today. You know, people, and I was one of them, looking for meaning of life, looking for identity, looking for purpose, looking for uh, value. And there's some people who've been on a long search, trying to figure it out still, and searching in all the wrong places. Right? You know people, and I do too, who are still, they're lost, chasing after what the world says is, this is your identity, this is where you find value, this is where you find your worth, and what do we find them in? Again, I, I was in that place, right? Constant flux, chasing after the wind, unstable, unsettled, unhappy, frustrated, right? And we talk about this, oh, I just got to go find myself. How do you find yourself? Here's what I want to submit. We, we find ourselves, we find our, our, our true identity when we realize who Jesus is. When we come to the place where we recognize who the Lord is, in his, uh, his identity, his purposes, and that's when we discover who we are. We don't need to go chase, live in confusion any longer. Again, yeah, I, I'm saddened by it. I feel like people just chase after things and relationships. 
And, oh, that's not it. So they'll change relationships. They'll change their spouse. They'll change their family. They change their clothes. They change their, their bodies. They, and they just, you know, chasing after all of these things, unfulfilled and unhappy, tired and defeated. So when we come to Christ, we know who, who we are because we know who he is and what he's done for us. So Simon Peter, how does he label himself? He labels himself as a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I, and I see some humility in that, that he uh, doesn't lead with his title, like, hey, I'm an apostle, here's my credentials. But he leads with the fact that he is a bondservant. And that word's an interesting word in the, in the Greek. Uh, it's the word doulos, and it's taken from slavery. So in Peter's day, in Jesus' day, in the Roman times, you guys know this, there, you know, there were millions of slaves. And it was part of their culture and part of their world. I mean, even within the Old Testament, there was uh, this type of uh, arrangement within the Jewish culture that if you were indebted to somebody, that one of the ways that you could work that off is that you become an indentured servant or slave to that person. And if you worked off your debt and you were set free, or if the year jubilee came or uh, certain periods of time, you know, seven years, then basically you're, you're let go. Fulfilled your contract, your duty, you, you know, you, 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 you have no more commitment. But if you wanted to stay and remain in that service, then you could. And if you decided to do that, well, you pledged yourself uh, to that person, and you became, if you will, a free will slave or a free will servant. And that's the word doulos. And so Peter uses that term to describe himself. And I would say in his relationship then to Jesus, that Peter, like all of us, have been set free from the slavery of sin, from the bondage of self. And Christ is the one who set us free. And so now Peter says, well, I then choose to commit myself to a life serving you, to serving the Lord. And so he identifies himself uh, in that way, that he is serving the Lord. And I think Bob Dylan was right in his song, we're all going to serve somebody. The truth of life is that we are serving someone, some entity, something. So notice Peter puts that title bondservant before the title of apostle. I asked for a service. I think everyone gave me an affirmation, but I'll ask you guys too. Does the saying every Marine is a rifleman, is that still something that's, is that still a mantra or ethos? Yeah? All right. I think Peter would, would, would add a Christian version of that to say that every Christ follower is a servant. Right? Regardless of what he is called to, and, we, and we'll talk about him being called as an apostle, he, the baseline for him, the, the thing that he identifies himself first, though, is he, he's, he's just a servant of the Lord. He's a willing servant of the Lord. And I think that is, that's true for all of us. Like, regardless of whatever other title that we have and the way that we serve the Lord, because it's going to be different for each of us. And it's different based upon your season, upon your gifts, upon location, upon opportunities, upon the needs. And what it looks like in this season, maybe of your life when you're single, will look completely different when you're married or when you have little kids, you have older kids, or when you're retired, right? It just, it's going to look different. And that's okay. That's just part of life. But before we are announcement guy or worship leader or usher, or pastor, or whatever other title that we have within our chaplain. Uh, we're servants. And again, that, that's true of all of us. So Peter, as a disciple of Jesus, was called by the Lord. As a, Remember, he was a fisherman. He says, all right, Peter, I'm changing your MOS. Right? You're, you're, a fisher, you're a fisherman, but now you're going to be a fisher of men. And he called Peter to himself. He had spiritual boot camp. When the time came, the Lord launched him out. And he gets sent out to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what that word apostle essentially means. It just means sent out, a sent out one. Now, I, I submit to you that Peter, along with the other 12 disciples, who often are called the 12 apostles, that they hold a unique office, a, a distinct role and designation that they hold that nobody else holds. That's Jesus called them, commissioned them, and sent them out. Now, there's some debate in other church circles and denominations about the idea, you know, of apostles, and, and sometimes the differentiation is, you know, there'll be a capital A versus a lowercase a. It's not a salvation issue, so I, I feel like, all right, if someone believes that, then they believe that. I, I, today, I believe uh, that the scriptures teach that the office and, and designation of apostle, if we want to make a designation, a capital A apostle, that that role was for that time specifically, and that job's closed. Like, no, no one else is doing that job. The heart of that role, the, the calling of that, the ministry of being sent out, that, of obviously, that still exists. And today, we might call them missionaries. God calls you, commissions you, right? Together as a church, we send people out, like our church has sent out you know, over a dozen missionaries, and we support them, and, and those are sent out ones. I also think that there are leaders who God raises up to be uh, elders amongst elders, if you will, that they are um, mentoring and they're establishing. And, and so the, that type of, of apostolic type of ministry, someone, you know, God is gifted and they have wisdom and experience. Um, you know, Nikki's dad is like that, a retired chaplain. He gets to travel all over the world and loves on and invests in other communities. Um, so that, that role, that functions there, but the title it isn't. For Peter, though, it's unique. Remember the early church when Judas Iscariot takes his own life? They look for a replacement, and, and they decide that the replacement, one of the qualifications is it needs to be someone that, that walked with and talked with and had eyeballs to Jesus. And that was one of the requirements. And so... Uh, they, you know, they pick Matthias to be that. And so personally, again, I, I don't think the office of apostle exists today, but the ministry aspect still does. And, and all that to say is we look at this um, as he identifies himself. What does that mean for us? God calls you and me to serve him and to serve the body. And we get to do that in a variety of ways. And I would add that, that the title is less important than just the function. Sometimes people get wrapped up in titles. And I would say to you, like, we look at the example of Jesus himself who said, uh, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And then later on, he washes the disciples' feet and he says, all right, guys, here, here's the deal. I gave you an example. And blessed are you if you know this, but you do this. And so it's just a good reminder for us. We're called to be servants. We'll serve the Lord in different ways. God's changed our identity. Here's his audience. To those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here Peter addresses his readers. Again, it's not to a specific city. It's not to a specific church or region. It's just this open letter and notice with me how he identifies them with himself. He says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. With us. That's his connecting point. And Peter loves that word precious. He used it five times in his first letter. He'll talk about precious faith. He's going to talk about precious promises. And it's a great word. In the original Greek, it means literally means beyond calculation. That's the idea. Beyond calculation. Uh, if my kids were writing this today or rewriting this today, they would say, it's extra. Right? Like Whatever it is, it's more than that. Remember the writer of Hebrews, when he's talking about our faith, he, he calls it, let us not neglect so great a salvation that God's given us. And so Peter talks about our faith and the idea that it, it is beyond 
calculation. It's beyond value. It's the epitome of invaluable. The very thing that God has given us, our faith, our salvation. Like, what's that worth? What's that worth to you? Remember, Jesus would say in the Gospels, what would it mean to you if you gained everything that the world had to offer? All of your wants, everything on your Christmas list, and everything else, and everything in the person sitting next to you, their Christmas list. You got all of that. Like, what would that be worth, but you, you forfeited your soul? Several years ago, uh, I've told this story before, but I'll just say it again. Several years ago, uh, I was in California. It was after a pastor's conference, walking through the mall there in Marietta. And it was at the time where these shops were popped up where they were buying gold. And so um, I, I had a gold wedding ring, and it was cutting my finger. And I thought, oh, here's an opportunity for me. So, so I, I went and found two and got it appraised, and, and one place gave me more than the other place, and they gave me more than I bought, appraised it more than what I bought it for. So I sold my wedding ring right there in the mall that day. I, I called Christy first. Let me make, <laughs> make that, let me make that, no, I called her first to get permission, and she's like, yeah, so, all right, good to go. So I got it appraised, and it was worth more than I paid for it, so I, I ended up getting another ring and a carne asada burrito from Alberto's. <laughs> Like, win-win right there. Right? What is our faith in Christ? Where, I mean, where, can we bring it somewhere and get that appraised? Like, what's the valuation of that? Peter says it is beyond estimation. It is precious. It is invaluable. And so the question then is, where did we get it then? I know where I got my gold ring. I got it at Sears. <laughs> now I have a silicon ring. <laughs> How do we acquire something of so great worth? You ever watch those uh, antique roadshow or um, one of those the pawn shop shows? Someone comes in, they bring, you know, they, they want to know how much this is worth. They want to sell it, figure out, what, you know, the appraisal of it. And some of them are pretty fun, right? Someone comes in with this helmet, and the guy's like, oh, do you know where you got the helmet from? And like, oh, yeah, it was grandma's. My, my grandpa would ride it around in a scooter or whatever, right? They're like, well, did you know this is, belonged to Genghis Khan, you know? And <laughs> like, what? It's worth a bazillion dollars, you know? <coughs> and so then there's this backstory about, you know, this item and how it's valuable and who owned it and where did it come from? And they'll usually ask, like, where did you find this? Like, oh, I found it in the attic or I bought it off Oakey Yard Sales or, you know, whatever it may be, right? There's some story that goes along with that. What's, what's, the, what's our story? What's the story of how we obtain this precious faith? How do you obtain it? Well, Peter tells us. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was given to us. That's where we got it from, from God himself. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that our salvation, this precious faith that you and I have, that we have obtained, we didn't obtain it because we did anything. We didn't work for it. We don't rate it. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. Nothing that we've done. Not by our good deeds, not by our righteousness. I mean, even the Old Testament agrees with that. Isaiah 64, 4 says that all of us become unclean, and all of our righteousness is like a dirty garment, like a dirty rag. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 3, he actually quotes from the Old Testament himself, and he says, There's none righteous, no, not one. Humanly speaking, of course, Jesus was righteous. And so the amazing story, we can say it this way, the amazing story of our uh, invaluable faith is that we obtained it, not by our works, not by our good deeds, but only by what Christ has done for us. It's really just a summary of Ephesians chapter 2. 
because of God's great mercy, because of God's great love, because God desires a relationship with you. That's it. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us then wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Philippians 3.9, Paul writing about Christ and says, and, and we're to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my good deeds, from the law, me trying to keep these things. But where does it come through? It comes through faith, faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then lastly, I think one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him, Jesus, speaking of Christ, who knew no sin, that he then took our sin, became sin, took upon himself our misdeeds, our guilt. And so what? Then we can become the righteousness of God. That is the greatest trade deal in all of the cosmos. Right? That we come and we came to the Lord broken and messed up and jacked up. Right? We compared to you, you compared to me, like you, you're great. But I'm not the standard. The Bible says that God is the standard, and we all fall short of that standard. We all fall short of the, the glory and the perfection of God. We're all sinners. And so we, we recognize that, and we come to the Lord as he invites us to come with our guilt, with our shame, with our junk, with our brokenness. And he says, give me all of that, and I will give you a perfect standing before the Father. I'll take your terrible credit score. I'll take your bankruptcy and I will impute to you, I will credit to you my perfect standing before the Lord. Another way the Bible describes it is we, our garments have been replaced. We came dirty and filthy and stinky. Like some of you after PT, some of our teenage boys, like just burn it. We're not even washing it, right? And the Lord then clothed us in his righteousness, a robe, a robe of his righteousness, then declares us clean and free and forgiven and, and right before the Lord. Where did we get this precious faith, this incalculable blessing that God's given to you? He gave it to you. And so Peter lays down this amazing, beautiful truth for us. What's the application? Just know that. Rub it in like sunscreen. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's giving a greeting there. And it's a standard one we read. Paul does the same thing. Grace and peace are often coupled together. They're like New Testament twins. You know the Japanese word futago? I'll teach you a word. Futago. It means twin. So these are the futago, futagos of our faith grace and peace. And they're often found together. They're a blessing that he extends, but they're also a blessing that, notice, that we can also experience. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So it's not just like a hello and bless you. and it, it, it's, it, it's more than that. It's something that's extended, but it's also something that it, it's experienced. And I would say that grace and peace for us, the fact that they can be multiplied like, there, there's this element where, oh, we can experience this in a, in a greater way. There's a, full, a, a force multiplier of our faith. And what is that? It's the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. The more that we know the Lord, the more that we walk with the Lord, the greater the grace we get to experience, the greater the peace that we get to experience. I don't know about you, but I, I need that in my life. More grace, Lord. And I need more peace, Lord. And I don't want to make too much out of this, but I think it's important, and I don't want you to miss what I'm trying to say as well. It comes by the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
gang, listen, if, if you come and you park here with us for this season as we make our way through the scriptures and you study the, the Bible, and, and if we do that and we, we, we end with like, oh, that was great to know, and now we have this tremendous, tremendous Bible knowledge, but if we leave it simply as that and we don't grow in a loving relationship with Jesus, then we have missed the point. The Studying the scriptures is not the end in itself. It is a means to an end. And growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the means to the end is to know him. It's to draw closer to Jesus. It's to be more like Jesus. That's the goal. It's not just having head knowledge. See, the Pharisees in the New Testament had a lot of head knowledge. They knew their Bibles. They, they knew the scriptures. But they lacked grace and they lacked a relationship. In fact, their knowledge became a source of pride. And so what happened is they're not gracious. They're, they're not full of peace. They're full of condemnation. They're full of criticism. They're full of, uh, of harshness. And Jesus says to them, you know what? You worship me with your mouth, but your heart is completely detached and so there's a danger for us. We don't want to come and just have head knowledge. We don't want to just leave with all the, like, okay, we know all these things. No, do we know the Lord? Are we, are we falling in love more with Christ? See, when we're, when we're growing in the knowledge of Jesus, it's then when we get to experience more grace and more peace to extend that and to experience that. That's what verse 2 reminds me of. That's what it speaks to my heart about. And then he says, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So there's the same thing. It's through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue. Peter says something really profound here. And perhaps this is the key to all of this. So if you dozed off for a little bit, just perk up for real quick for this thing. And then you can go back and take a nap. Everything that you need, everything that we need to live a godly, abundant, joyful, I had all these uh, uh, adjectives, meaningful, impactful, you can throw in all the rest. Satisfying life, it has been given to you. You have it. Everything that you need. God, his provision is complete for the abundant life that Christ calls us to. And this is why it's important. It's already been given to us. We don't need to go look for it anywhere. We don't need to look for the fullness of anything else to fulfill the rest. Everything that we need to start, to continue, to thrive, uh, and to finish well, God has given you. His divine power has been provided. And yet, sometimes we do. Sometimes we're like, wow, there must be something missing. And we go off in search of some kind of supplement or some type of spiritual life hack, as though something's, you know, a void. Gang, we've been liberated from the rat race of scurrying around, trying to prove ourselves to others who sometimes don't really care anyways. And this is radical because if your tendency is like mine, I, t I look at the world and I think, oh, I, I should be doing these things. My life should look like this. That's the measure of success. That's the measure of blessing. This title, this job, this money, this house, these things, then I'll really be content. Then I'll be okay. It's a trap. We're just looking for something that God's already provided. And the world is happy to sell us that lie. Remember in, in, the, in the garden, the very first lie that the devil brings to Adam and Eve is that God was holding out something from them. Well, they're in paradise. They have everything they need. And the lie that gets perpetuated is you're missing something. 
And they, they bite, literally. We don't need to be on a quest to fill whatever void we think exists. The reality is that we have everything that we need. The Lord's provided that. And if you feel like you're at a place where something is missing and something is a void, I, my encouragement is to come back to then your first love. It's not in my notes, so I have to do this quickly. In John chapter 21, it's Peter. It's the same guy. He's like, uh, I'm going back fishing. It's after Jesus resurrected. It's after he appeared in the upper room. It's after he reveals himself, like all those amazing, crazy things. And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, I'm going to go back to my old life. And a group of the guys are like, yeah, we're going to go with you. So he goes back. And, and if you know the account, what happens, he, he, he fishes all night, and he catches nothing, right? That is a, that is a terrible fishing trip. Right? And add in the fact that he's a professional, right? He is a professional fisherman. And in the morning, Jesus is there standing on the beach, and he calls out to him, hey, did you guys catch anything? Now, Ooh, that no. And if you know the, the account, then the, the scene unfolds where the Lord says, all right, cast your nets. They get all this fish. John says, hey, I think it's the Lord. Peter's like, oh, right, and goes for it, true to his nature. And he gets to the shore for a thousand points. What is waiting for Peter and the rest of the guys as Jesus is there? What, what's fish? fish on our, they're going to have some fish tacos, right? It's some bread and some fish. And I love that scene for this reason. The very thing that Peter was looking for, the Lord already had. The very thing he's toiling for and ends up zero on, right? All night, and he catches nothing, comes up empty, the Lord already had for him. And, and how often do we do that? Like how often do we like toil and we're going searching for things, and the Lord already has what we need? He says, God's provided all that we need through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue. In 2 Peter, Peter's, one of his other favorite words is the word knowledge. He's going to use it 13 times in this letter. And it's the idea of personal knowledge, like they, not just head knowledge, not just facts and information. It, it, it's, it's relational. See, it's not just knowing facts about Jesus. It's not just knowing, you know, information about God. It's to know him. That's the idea. That word for glory, it's the word kabod. And it means heavy. It means weighty. Um, when the glory of God would fall upon the, the tabernacle and the temple, it was represented by this thick cloud, this heaviness that would come upon um, the people. And so the fact that we've been called into and by glory, this 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 something of substance. And the idea of virtue, it means good. We're going to talk about that next week to add to our faith virtue. It's good and it's something substantial. And and what does all that mean then? God has provided everything you and I need to live a life of substance, a good life, a meaningful life. And he calls us to that. And, and we sometimes will settle for, God's, for less than God's best because we pursue what the world is selling. And we cheat ourselves out of a fullness of life, out of fullness of contentment and satisfaction and identity and purpose and destiny because we're just chasing after all this other, these other things. And again, if you're feeling discouraged or you feel a little void, you're feeling something lacking, uh, maybe the diagnostic first is like, what, what have you been chasing after? What have you been seeking? See, Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things that you need, God knows, and he'll, he'll, he'll provide them as he wills. But we got to align ourselves on seeking after the kingdom. 
And again, notice that these things have been given to us. What's been given to us? Exceedingly great and precious promises. Given to us. God is a good gift giver. Do you know that? I am a terrible gift giver. Anybody here good gift givers that you're willing to admit? All right, I'll be your friend. All right, you're good. <laughs> like some people just, they're real creative, right? I'm like, here's a gift card. Enjoy, you know. <laughs> Starbucks. God's a good, good gift giver. And he doesn't give uh, cheap, flimsy, free gifts. Right? His gifts are really good. And, and, and all of the things that he's given us, what else does he give us? Peter says, well, he's given us his word. He's given us the promise that he is going to work in our life and in our situation. And guess what? His promises are amazing. Sometimes we, again, I think we, we um, downgrade that because the promises of other people generally aren't amazing, right? People will let us down. Companies will let us down. They don't keep their word. People don't keep their word. I don't keep my word at times. But God keeps his word. God is completely faithful to keep his word. He never breaks his promises. And uh, our time doesn't, we don't have time, but I, I encourage you, you want to be encouraged in your faith this week? Go through the Bible and highlight and read and look for all of the promises that God has given us. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He promises that all things, not some things, not most things, all things work together for good. Sometimes in that moment, we don't understand how it's going to work out, but guess what? We can trust the Lord. We can, God's promised it. The Bible says his promises are yes and they are amen. The promise of his spirit to comfort us, lead us, guide us, convict us. The promise of his return, the promise of eternal life. These great, exceedingly great and precious promises. And good for us. We don't want to think lightly of them. And what happens He says, it's through those that we then are partakers of the divine nature. We get to experience the goodness of God, his nature, when we then, on the basis of these promises, you know, um, appropriate them to ourselves. What does that mean practically? Imagine in your mind's eye the idea that you, God's called you, has changed your identity and mine, placed us into his family, and he hands you a, an ATM card. And the ATM card is to a spiritual ATM that you have free, unlimited access to, and anything that you need, anytime that you need it, of heaven's resources. Not, not earthly resources necessarily, right? Not like my kids are like, I want access to your credit card so I can go to Family Mart. No. Heaven's resources of peace, of comfort, of perspective, of wisdom, of grace, of love, of forgiveness. Things that are good and things that are substantial. The things of this world are fade away. Peter's going to tell us later they're all going to burn. It's all going up in a big bonfire. And if that's the case, how ought we to live? See, we, we, we have been rescued from, we have been delivered from the corruption of the mindset of the world that's influenced by lust. Lust is the, the flavor of the world that says, feed your flesh. Pursue those things that feed your flesh. And it is a cheap knockoff of God's agape love. It's a counterfeit. And God says, don't settle for less than my best. Everything that you need, I have provided. And if you then remain here, you live in the promises and the power that I have provided, you will experience a deep satisfaction of purpose, of holiness, of godliness, all that God provides. And what happens then? We don't need the cheap knockoffs. And so when the world comes touting their wares and says, oh, you should pursue this. How about these things? You can be like, no, I'm good, bro. I got the Lord. And so abundance and genuine joy, the promises of God, all found in Christ. And how do we get that? 
He gave it to you. These are the things that we need to put on like sunscreen today. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word, your truth, your love, your grace. I suppose our response to that is just to say thank you. We praise you. Lord, help us to realize these blessings that we have. That we wouldn't be tempted as the world um, tries to sell us a, a, a different story. A different line of satisfaction. A different vector of purpose and, and pursuits and Lord, help us to realize like all that we need, all that we have that you've given us, we don't need to chase after anything else. We find our contentment in you. Find our satisfaction in you. Lord, to know that you are all that we need and it is enough. You're enough, Jesus. So I pray that these things will become a part of who we are and then permeate our pursuits and priorities and decisions today and the coming days. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.